Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about nutrient stratification and how this could be negatively impacting your crop yields and your soil health. If you've got any questions for us about that or anything that's happening in your farm, we'd love to take your phone call. The number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Okay, with this nutrient stratification topic that we'll talk about throughout the show today, I'll give you just a couple of things to start out with. What we worry most about are nutrients that don't move very well in soil. Now, when I say don't move very well in soil, that can also be a good thing. When you think about nitrate, sulfate, boron, nutrients like that, they can leach pretty easily, so you can lose them. The great thing about nutrients including phosphorus, zinc, and copper is they're pretty well stuck in the soil wherever they're placed, and you don't have to worry about leaching away those nutrients. That's nice, but the problem is if you don't place them in the right area, let's say you lay them on the soil surface and you do no tillage. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with doing no tillage. I'm simply saying if you don't do tillage and you lay the nutrients on the surface of the soil, well, guess what? It could be decades before they even get two inches down in the soil. Seriously. So we have to be concerned about that a little bit. There's also potassium that I kind of include somewhere in the middle. So like in our area... When we have really heavy soils, we have very little rainfall, and the ground's frozen for four or five months out of the year, in some areas more, <laughs> even potassium is pretty immobile in soil. If you're, let's say, changing things up and you go, you know what, I want to reduce my tillage and save on erosion, I want to cut back on the expense I have for those tillage passes. Those things are all great to talk about, but the problem is you're now going to have to farm a little different way. And when we first started doing some no-till stuff over 25 years ago, we didn't do that. So I'm trying to tell you about our mistakes so this doesn't happen to you, but we continued to farm just like we had been before. The only change was we quit doing tillage. Well, that didn't work because now all our nutrients were in the top couple inches of soil, especially those immobile ones like phosphorus, copper, zinc, and even potassium, well, in our area, the top couple inches dries out pretty easily. We need nutrients down deeper. That's part of the reason we started doing strip till then, so we could place nutrients a little bit deeper. But anyway, we'll talk about this issue of nutrient stratification throughout the show. But uh, right now, let's get to the phone lines. All right, let's head out to Maryland right now. I've got Russell on with us. Russell, thanks for calling in today. Really appreciate hearing from you. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. Um, a very specific question, and I know you guys, you don't get into and talk about the, the markets very much, but I, I'm just my question is kind of a curiosity, and you've got such a large audience that covers such a large geographic area but everybody knows right now the wheat markets are hot and if you got a little bit of wheat or a lot of wheat you, you've got an opportunity to make some money um yesterday we were able to contracts we were able to get forward contracts for june july delivery 
based on the July with a, a minus 70 basis. So we were, you know, in the, the nine, getting ready to touch the $10 range. Um, the markets, you know, they've been limited up for the last couple of days. And then today, they came out today and they moved the contract to using December. So we're on a June-July delivery using the December contract. I've never seen that happen. And it, I kind of feel like, and I, I, I know we, everybody wants to tag us whiners, you know, farmers are the biggest whiners, but we finally got a chance to maybe make a little bit of money with these crippling input costs. And the elevators now, they changed the rules on us. So a contract today's worth a dollar. 50 to two dollars less than what it was yesterday on another limit up day any wow. thoughts Sorry well, to rant. <laughs> i uh, see why you're ranting that's uh that's pretty crazy well yeah but we've seen this kind of thing happen before and you always have to look at the other side of things too so for Darren and me and our dad, we owned a grain elevator for a little while. And so we, we sat on the other side of the fence for probably 20 years. And it was a small, small deal. So n- nothing major. But nevertheless, it's it's challenging. And, and you got to make sure you're hedging your positions. And wherever you, as the grain elevator, are selling to, that you can sell for an appropriate price so you can then have the best possible bid for your farmers. And sometimes we were just out of the market. There was literally nothing we could do when competitors had a a certain price that they were able to pay farmers for the grain. And we we just couldn't do it because there was nowhere we could go to come out okay on that type of price. So I'd just say um, those, those things happen and we have to, as farmers, sometimes shop it around a little bit and maybe talk to some other elevators or terminals or, or, or maybe it's livestock people that we end up selling some of our grains to. I know that's what Darren and I have done sometimes. But the, the, the good news, and let's put it this way, every day in life we're going to have challenges and there's also a bright side of things if we just look for it. <laughs> I'm super happy that the crop prices are great. But nobody knows if this today and what we say is great today will look bad uh, even a month from now. I mean, things could go up that much more. We just don't know. One of the things that our grandpa always used to say is, boys, just sell one-twelfth of your crop every month. And better yet, sell one-fifty-second of your crop every week. So now you've at least got the average price. And you know what? It, they say that about two-thirds of the farmers sell in the bottom third of the market. So now you've beaten at least two-thirds of the people in terms of grain marketing, and it took no work. So now you can spend all your time focused on raising a better crop. So anyway, <laughs> that's certainly one strategy. But uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry that you're having those issues in your area, Russell. Hopefully things will turn around a little bit, but just shop it around a little bit. Maybe it can get a better bid somewhere else and it'll be a little bit better. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmall. 
This is a wake-up call for you and your field's microbiome from Source by Sound Agriculture. Source is a revolutionary foliar-applied biochemistry that doesn't rely on bulky nutrients or finicky biologicals to wake up your soil and unlock more nutrients per acre, all with a low use rate. It's like caffeine for microbes. Source works with the soil you've already got and the equipment you already use. So if you're a grower, go to sound.ag and learn more. And if you're a microbe, time to rise and shine. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Weeds rob you of yield potential, so rob them of the chance to grow with powerful corn herbicide solutions from Corteva AgriScience. Weeds won't know what hit them, but you will. Because you can count on all the top corn herbicide products, including Resicor, SureStart 2, and Keystone NXT, to effectively control weeds, you can spend less time worrying about unwanted yield-robbing plants and power on. Learn more at poweroverweeds.com power. Keystone NXT is a restricted-use pesticide. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're going to talk about soils, soil fertility, some of the challenges that are out there. One of them, we're talking about nutrient stratification on those dry years. It's kind of fun to have the nutrients down a little deeper where your crop can get them. But you know what? It's not the end of the world on every nutrient. We talked about it just a little bit that some of these nutrients like nitrogen, sulfur, boron, not worried about it one bit. But the one that we are really specifically is phosphorus, that if we've got a lot of phosphorus up at the surface, you're more prone to having some problems if you have any kind of runoff. And if any of that makes it in the river, that is the limiting factor for algae growth in freshwater is phosphorus. So getting that phosphorus a little deeper is is one of the topics uh, that, that goes into this discussion. We've got our friend Anthony Bly with us right now with South Dakota State University. Uh, Anthony, so what do you do when you, you want to be no-till and you want phosphorus a little bit deeper in the soil, even just a few inches uh, what do you, are most guys doing that with like a two by two on a planter or how do they try to accomplish it? Well, you know, Aaron, um, good to be on, by the way, I'm sorry. Good to, good to be talking to you today. Um, uh, straight to the question. Well, it, you know, really superior soil health with really good water infiltration and, and, um, good micro microbiology there, uh, especially that mycorrhizal fungi, you know, we we really we really can't rely on it being at the surface, and I, I think we're seeing a number of producers experiencing that. But getting to that point is is you know the big question: how and how long and and whatever. And and so I just see a lot of producers with seed placed um, liquid fertilizer. Um, you know, just a little bit in, in the furrow, and I, th- I think I think the rest of it has to be put on the surface. And um, I don't see any full-scale, um, you know, banding equipment. Uh, there are there are a few producers that that you know have have the air carts, and uh, they're going uh, about three inches from the row, and uh, they're putting on a you know the 
the biggest share of the phosphorus in, in that type of band. But uh, I, I'd just like to say that they're really good soil health fields, um, loaded up with a lot of mycorrhizae fungi and a good rotation. Um, I, I think, you know, they're just getting getting by with, with that uh, stratification very well. You know, you mentioned one thing there early on, Anthony, mycorrhizal fungi. And I know we had a lot of comments from guys that have been in the dry areas the last couple of years saying what a difference that made. They felt like they got so much more phosphorus into the plant that their neighbors weren't getting in uh, just because it, it was too dry for it to move in with water. So how how big are mycorrhizal fungi? How, I mean, I don't mean their, their physical size, but I mean, how big a deal is that for, for production? It's a big deal because we know, you, you know, rhizobium uh, bacteria invade the plant cells and colonize there. Well, mycorrhizal fungi is similar to that. It, it's living in the outer surface of the root, and it's, it's uh, small filaments, fibers that extend that root system. And, you know, I haven't, I'm not privy to that, that research that's looked at that. I don't, I don't know if anybody's either looked at that, but... But Chris Nichols is was, is a famed soil microbiologist, and you know she discovered glomalin, and and I, you know I believe I've heard her say it can double the root system of a plant, and um, that's a big deal because when we're talking about even water uptake and other nutrients, uh, that filament system, fiber system, whatever you call that. Um, those tentacles are reaching out a long way and really extending that root system. And, and there's been a lot of studies to show that phosphorus applications can reduce mycorrhizal fungal in the, in the soil because it, in a sense, makes the plant lazier or not wanting to form those associations, let's just say it that way. So it's a big deal. It's a very big deal. Yeah, there's a lot that goes into this, and you talked about superior soil health and soil structure. It doesn't happen overnight. You guys got to be working on that for the long term, but it's just like everything else in farming. You got to think about it. Every time you're going to do anything out in the field, uh, just think about what the ramifications are, pros and cons, before you make those decisions. It's one of the reasons we like having Anthony Bly on the show from time to time. Anthony, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. It's been good talking to you, Darren. Thank you. You bet. Uh, yeah, this is a big topic, and when we have extreme weather years like we've had uh, on our farm, man, the last year and a half, two years has been quite dry, and that really does stress things in the in the system. And you see the ground that you've had for a long time, and you've been working on, and you've got that soil structure uh, in a lot better place than than maybe it was when you picked up the ground. Uh, what what a difference that can make, and we sure see the the good fields versus the tough fields on years like this. I got Dave Sender on with us right now with Environmental Tillage Systems, the Soil Warrior guys. So, Dave, uh, we were just talking with Anthony Blind. Anthony talks a lot about no-till and and a lot of the benefits building up soil structure. We do a lot of strip-till on our farm now, and and we sure like that, too. That's been a a nice way to get the job done. So today we were talking nutrient stratification, but, uh, of course, with strip-till, there's there's just so many different aspects we could talk about on it. So glad to have you on the show, and and, uh, we'll see where you want to take this discussion. You bet. I appreciate it. Uh, um, yeah, you know, there's, you're absolutely right. There's a ton of different directions um, this this conversation can go. Um, just caught the tail end of, of the guest before, um, and uh, it definitely sounds like some, some interesting stuff there. 
Um, but you know, as far as yeah, building that soil structure, it's I don't think enough can be said about that. Um, you know, and, and like you say, you got to be in in, the, in in it for the long haul because um, it just it doesn't happen overnight. So um, you know, one of the things we've seen with nutrient stratification, you know, primarily when we've seen guys come over from a no-till application. Uh, we typically, you know, the feedback we get from these guys typically is that they see a pretty significant increase in in plant performance and yields uh, when they when they first come over. Um, I mean, one could, uh, I guess, try to connect the dots and say that it, it probably has to do with, you know, kind of opening that ground back up, getting some of those nutrients back deeper. Um, you know, with with you know, like with our system, for example. We're, we're, we're putting that fertilizer down six, seven, eight inches deep, um, kind of throughout that entire profile, you know, depending on how the machine is set and, and, and what kind of tillage depths we're, we're running. But the other part of that goes back to that soil health. And, and having a healthy soil is, in my opinion anyways, is, is just paramount to, to maximizing an entire system like that. Yeah, and it is quite a change going to strip till versus conventional till, and and definitely change versus no till. So it's a it's a really neat alternative system to utilize. There's so many advantages. One of them that we like is you can put fertilizer down right right where the row is going to be. So you can build that fertility up right where you know you're going to have lots of roots to try to intercept it. I think that on our farm has made so much of a difference on our soybeans. I really like it on our corn root system too, but but the soybeans, man, they, they just love having that fertility close. Is is that a big deal too in your mind, just having the close closeness of fertility, but also having it down in the soil a little bit? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, the closeness of it, having it in the soil. I mean, there's, you know, to kind of state the obvious, you, you're, you're almost exempt from, from the erosion side of things because you're getting it into the soil. So you're not, you're a lot less likely to see any issues with, with, you know, wind or water erosions. You know, and the other aspect of that is, is, you know, technology and, and the ability to, the way I like to say it is you're kind of a master of your own destiny with regards to, not only where you're putting that fertilizer, but but how much you're putting. So, you know, you can even take that to the next level of saying, hey, I, you know, I've got a certain part of the field that that performs at X, and another part of my field that performs at Y. You know, and then you can start to get into the variable rate aspects of of your fertilizer applications, and and really really dial that in. And I think as as some of these input costs continue to rise, I think that just becomes more and more important. You know, as growers, how can we how can we maximize our investment and 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 get get the highest return possible? Yeah, and you're you're absolutely right with the the price of those inputs this year and just what your time is worth being out in the field uh, to get all those things done in a single pass is pretty fantastic and to do them just perfectly where you need them in your field is great as well. Talking with Dave Sender here with Environmental Tillage Systems, the Soil Warrior guys. Dave, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Thank you. 
Soybean growers are dealing a swift blow to tough broad leaves and grasses with the two-in-one power of Moccasin MTZ. Moccasin MTZ combines the power of s metolachlor and a higher load of Metribuzin for outstanding weed control right from the outset with extended residual control to keep tough weeds down, including pigweed, water hemp, ragweed, and mare's tail, in addition to annual grasses like foxtail and barnyard grass. Ask your retailer about Moccasin MTZ and always read and follow label directions. The first name and last word in weed control in heavier, higher organic soil types is Authority Edge Herbicide from FMC. This proprietary combination of actives outperforms the competition, delivering up to 14 more days of residual control. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Authority Edge Herbicide may not be registered for sale or use in all states. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin studio today. Now, the topic is nutrient stratification, and what we're talking about here is nutrients being very concentrated in the top inch or so of soil, but then you get a few inches deep in the soil and there's hardly any. And you think about that. There's a lot of pros and cons of having nutrients in the shallow part of the soil where a root system is going to be. But if you get dry, my goodness, it can be a problem. Or if you have any erosion ever, it can be a big challenge. So just talking about that today, also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head out to Maine, got our friend Alan Perry on right now with the Farm Technologies Network. Alan, how are you doing today? Hey, pretty good. All right, nutrient stratification. Do you get worried about it? I'm sure you see it all the time when you're soil testing. 
Um, we have you have to have a strategy for it, and I think the number one thing I'd want to know is uh, from one farm to another is how much water have you got to work with. Um, in the uh, eastern part of the United States, we have quite a lot of rainfall, and so we're kind of conscious of some of our materials getting away that way. Yeah, that that can be chosen. The other thing I was thinking about is permanent crops. How how do you deal with this issue when you got permanent crops and you can't do tillage or you can't maybe inject uh, fertilizer into the ground? Uh, yeah, uh, you know, orchard crops and uh, permanent pastures and those kinds of things with no tillage is an issue. Um, it's uh, it lends itself to some liquid products sometimes that you can apply. Um, and, and that helps, but the biggest thing is to pay attention to the form of the material and the timing, putting it on when you need it. All right. So there's all kinds of theories out there about, man, if I could just attach some of these nutrients that don't, don't move down in soil well, but if I attach them to nitrogen or I attach them to boron or sulfur, can they pull nutrients down? Is that reality or is that just uh, wishful thinking? Well, uh, I like a lot of things, it's probably true at least some of the time. Um, the, the biggest thing is how much microbiology do you have in your soil? The more you have, the more that can help you move the materials around and hang on to the materials that want to get away. But nitrogen generally wants to be uh, get into the air, uh, and so we're always trying to attach that to like a calcium or something that will hang around better. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So nutrient stratification, one issue. What other things are popping up heading into the spring where you're at? Well, uh, of course, fertilizer uh, prices are getting uh, higher all the time, along with the other cost of input. So we're looking really closely at uh, market prices and trying to figure out uh, how to get uh, the most efficient use of the fertilizer. Uh, maybe sometimes getting more yield isn't the key to the, to the process. Maybe getting the yield that's easy to get uh, cheaper might be better. So we're looking at a number of different things there. Yeah, there certainly is opportunity in a lot of the big crops, the corn, soybean, wheat markets this year. Uh, how about some of the specialty crops? Is the market there uh, abnormally high as well? Well, um I haven't uh, been in touch here in the last month or two, and things are changing so quickly. Uh, the uh, conflict over in Ukraine is something we're in the middle of because we've been working there for about 13 months. Um, if, if that uh, acreage gets displaced because they can't plant here in the next three weeks or so, I would think all the prices on food commodities are going to go a little higher. So um, I would be pretty optimistic even on specialty crops. So uh, speaking of Ukraine, Alan, I know you have been working with some farmers over there. What are you hearing out of those guys? And uh, just for, for people who aren't familiar with the agricultural power of Ukraine, uh, maybe put that into perspective for us, too. Well, to give you a little context, uh, the, the country is fairly square, uh, roughly 400 miles from east to west and 400 miles from north to south. We'll, we'll cover most of it. Uh, and it's mostly one big farm in a way. Some of the big farms there are a million acres or, or more each, um, and a lot of corn and, and uh, soybeans, um, a lot of poultry production. But they also have walnuts and a lot of potatoes and sugar beets and some of the um, other more regular crops as well. Um, they just need some help. That's a big soil with some big TECs, uh, much like Minnesota. Um, but they need some help to get things sorted out and uh you know, they haven't had as much practice farming as we have. 
Yeah, that's that's a fair statement. I, I've just had one trip over to Ukraine, and I, I'd say the same thing. Good people just uh, just need opportunity, maybe need a little bit of coaching here and there, and and uh, hopefully they're able to plant. That would be a big deal for for that part of the world. But you're right, that's going to have a huge impact on our market this year. Hey, Alan, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. You're always so generous with your time and and uh, and knowledge. Uh, good luck. You're heading into the spring. Glad to. Thank you. Yeah, dear, and I'd be absolutely shocked if Ukraine was planting. Nothing's happening over there, is my guess. Wow. Sadly. Wow. Yep. Well, they got a little bit of time here before planting season, but I have a feeling they got a lot of things to worry about along the way, no doubt about that. Uh, all right, let's head over to Illinois. We've got Doug on with us right now with a couple questions. Doug, how you doing? Hi, good. Hi, guys, thanks for taking my call. You bet. Hey, um, just a question about methodology for the – Te- soil testing for stratification, um, you know, I could use a soil probe and, and break it up that way and into increments and things, but I've, I've always got so much compression in that soil probe as far as taking good samples. What would you be your thoughts about um, just taking a post hole auger out there on the tractor and maybe going that way and then coming yep. in from the, the sidewall and taking a better sample that way. Yep. There have been some people that have done that. It all depends on what your soil is like. So to your point, if it is compacting a lot, so you think that, oh, it appears I'm taking a three-inch sample, but really I'm getting a four or five-inch sample, uh, yeah, you might have to do something like that. Yeah. Okay. I think that's what I'm going to do. And then kind of um, maybe build some sort of template like you see on a soil profile example you know, where I could come in from the side and, and, um, sure. and get, get a real nice sample and then maybe measure it and break it up later when I'm back to the truck or whatever. Yeah, so. and it's one of these things where we often tell people, look, we're not suggesting that you go out and sample every two inches or three inches down all the way to a foot in a whole bunch of spots on your farm. But at least if you do a little bit of that, so you start to get an idea, oh, I am dealing with this nutrient stratification thing because all we are about here is is taking whatever dollars we're going to invest on the farm and figuring out the best way to do that. Well, if let's just say, for example, I've got the top two inches absolutely loaded to the hilt with fertility, it doesn't make a lot of sense to be putting more fertility in the top two inches. Then if you do happen to see that, you go, oh, okay, now I understand what's happening in my soil. Maybe I need to get a little more fertility down at four inches or six inches or eight inches, whatever. So anyway, it's it's just about kind of recognizing what's truly happening on your farm. And if you don't test, you don't know. Yeah, and we've been injecting manure for a number of years. So you suggested I do that a while back and I've thought about it and I think it you know, the way things are going, I probably better get that accomplished either this spring or this fall. But uh, do you expect to see anything in the subsoil? I mean, more than a foot down as far as nutrients? I've never no. really had anybody talk about it. No, but I don't know what things are like on your farm. For example, if you right. don't have a lot of compaction and you've been getting a lot of roots going down deep, or let's say in the case of your manure example where you say, I've been applying a lot of this, maybe some of that has been seeping down because you've got mm-hmm. soil that's very porous. I don't know, and here again, without testing, I'm not going to know. And you don't have to do lots of spots. Just do a few spots and you'll you'll find out. Right. But I'm guessing most of your fertility is in the top six inches. Yeah, probably. But yeah, we'll check it out and I'll, I'll send you the results. Sounds great. Appreciate your help. You bet. Thanks for the call, Doug. Thanks, guys. You bet. Bye. All right. Uh, 
Get a comment in from Tim. He said, really appreciate your videos and information. It's awesome. Thanks for taking the time to produce them. Hey, thanks, Tim. Really appreciate that. Really really appreciate you reaching out as well. Uh, Got one from Brandon. He said, I'm in South Central Minnesota. Our co-op does not carry Megagrow, and so they won't sell it to me and put it on. However, uh, I'm wondering if I got some Megagrow and I put it in furrow, do you normally see a response in corn and soybeans? And if so, what rate would you use? Uh, yeah, you can use it in furrow. There are people that are doing that. Typically, they're running a higher rate than the two ounces that we will usually yeah, talk two, about. Yeah, two ounces is fine. Two, two ounces is going to get you all you want. I know there's You're a competitive okay. product out there that talks about four, but honestly, the data doesn't show any any more yield okay. of four ounces than two. So yep. yeah, I like two ounces in furrow. does definitely help with that root growth and early season growth and give them a, a nice little jump out of the ground. And thanks for the question. We appreciate it. We'll be right back with more Ag PhD Radio after this. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, it means getting a -a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting experts who will work with you to create a program unique to your operation, all while accounting for the quality of your soil and the products you're already using. It's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Don't let resistant weeds win on your field. Herbicide-resistant weeds are a fierce competitor of corn growers. Tough 5EC, a selective contact herbicide manufactured by Belgium Crop Protection, can help. Tough 5EC synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Add Tough 5EC to your post-emergence tank mix team and beat resistant weeds. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. 
Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton Studio. We've been talking about nutrient stratification, but our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD if you have an agronomic question. Uh, i got our friend Jim on from South Dakota with a question right now. Jim, how are you doing? Hi, good, Darren and Brian. How are you? Good, good. Um, I've got a question, sir. I've got a couple questions. Sure. A little bit, sorry. Um, your latest commercial on WNX and stuff like the rootworm control, and I was at some of your meetings, and if I recall right, I was thinking going corn on corn on some land out by uh, Pier, South Dakota, that we farm, and because of the, I guess I've got a lot of seed left over, and would you plant year or two old corn? You do a germ test on it. If it came up okay, would you plant it? Yeah, there there is a lot of corn in the industry that's that's a year old or a couple of years old, okay. and uh, some companies will store that in climate controlled storage. Some won't, and you're you're mm-hmm. quite a ways north in the country, and so you you may have pretty good odds that it could be okay. But yes, I would absolutely germ test that. Uh, we've seen some lots on the market this year that haven't looked good, but most of the stuff has been pretty good so yeah get a get a germ test going right away and make sure you're testing warm germ and cold germ and that'll give you a great idea and if i remember the the cold germ is like 50 some and the warm isn't that much higher right uh for cost you mean no no for for the germination temperature Oh, uh, the temperatures. So the warm germ test, they actually run at 77 degrees. And part of the reason is that they want to get your results back quick. Uh, so they, they don't want it to take forever. If they did it at 50, it would take uh, quite a bit longer. Uh, so, so they do run that at a warmer temperature, but, um, it, it is, it is a good idea to do it. And, um, okay. it, it's not, it's not terribly expensive, a lot cheaper than having a big problem out in the field. Would you send that to SDSU or somewhere like that, or just do it ourselves? I've got a one that we do weed in also, so I just like a pan and you know. Or, yeah, there there are a lot of labs out there. I don't know if they do it at SDSU anymore, but I know uh, there's a, okay. a place Sodak Labs in Brookings, uh, SGS in okay. Brookings. Okay. They both they both do those kinds okay. of tests. And then my other question on the rootworm control. Uh, it's only been corn one year, and it's out west, and. There's nothing we can, I, I share a air seeder with my brother-in-law. I have the air seeder and he's got the planter gotcha. and he doesn't have any liquid capability. It's, it's on the planter. Maybe I can fix it this year and get it going. Cause it came with some tanks and, but how would you, is there any way to put rootworm control down like post spraying later? There's really not. No, is there no, you want it no it's either planting time. What I would do if, especially if it's just been one year corn is I'd just use a trait. I'd use something like SmartStacks okay. and call it good. Smart, and you don't and have to I, deal with that. Okay. And I've got that on most of There's some with Cruiser Max. That was another question. I guess that's got a, a treatment on for a lot of bugs too, the Cruiser Max? Or? Yeah, it's not going to get your rootworms though. So the it's Cruiser not. is, yeah, I mean, it'll have a tiny little bit of activity in rootworm, but it's really better on things like wireworm, seed corn maggot, seed corn beetle. And the Max part, that's really the fungicide end of things. Okay. And would it help any to plant uh, when the ground's a little warmer? So it, like for the cutworms and things, would it come up quicker or no. the rootworm? It probably I, wouldn't I don't think so, okay. Jim. I, I don't no. think the planting date's going to matter on the particular bugs you're going to fight there. 
Okay. All right. Well, thank you, guys. You I've bet. learned a lot from you this year. Appreciate it. You bet. Thanks Bye. a lot, Jim. Good luck. Uh, let's head out to Oklahoma. We've got Jerry on with us right now. Jerry, how you doing? Doing well. How are you? Well, I'm I'm a little nervous. We're doing good, but I'm nervous because I heard you wanted to talk tiling, and you know how my brother likes to talk tiling. <laughs> well, just one simple question. Uh, we're, we're we bought a tile plow because we couldn't find anybody locally to to do the tiling that we needed. And I think I heard you say one day that uh, you on bottom land you would not slope it less than. 0.05 that would be kind of your minimum slope am i correct on that for four inch tile that's kind of what they say on drains that are not subjected to fine sand or silt yes so what size tile line are we talking here it'd be a four yep four inch. yep so yeah so that's the absolute bare minimum in our experience, I would just say when we've done that and we've been right down to the .05, it's it's starting to get a little sketchy. I don't love it. There's just a lot greater chance that it can fill in with dirt or it's going to happen sooner anyway. So as much slope as we can get, that's always what we're going to be after. So if I can get up to .1 as opposed to .05, I'm going to be a lot happier. I'll put it that way. Well, most of the fields that I'm tiling, you know, if we can get to the .05, we're doing well. Because <laughs> most of them, you know, it's less than that. Well, yeah, but uh, let, let me just say this, Jerry. We've, in some of our fields, and granted, the smaller the field, the easier this is to do. But if you have to put in a lift station, for example, then you can just have your main line going way down into the ground, which then allows you to have the laterals running at just a little bit more slope. So we've created some of our own slope on those fields that are completely flat. So if there's any chance to oh. do that, then then that that can really come in handy. It's So we've changed our strategy and how we do it a little bit since we first started doing our own tiling about 15 years ago. And I'd rather do that. I don't. I would rather put in a lift station. If I say, man, I got to run everything at the absolute bare minimums, we, we have one field of that. And Darren owns the field, and he can attest to this too. It's It drains, but it's not that great. So I'd rather spend the money, put in a lift station, and then I can have my main line going that much deeper, which then means I can have my laterals with a little bit more slope, and I would drain that more effectively. Hey, I want to give you some encouragement too, Jerry. You're the third person that I've talked to in the last two weeks that said, I'm getting a tile plow in Oklahoma because nobody else around me has one. So I know there's at least three in your state at this point. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's not a lot of contractors that do that work down here. No. And and Jerry, oh, let me there, tell you one other, let me tell you one other thing too. When we first started doing our own tiling, we tried to take the easiest stuff first. And I know it's it's very tempting to do the hardest stuff first, the stuff that's most poorly drained, but at least until you get your feet under you for the first couple of fields, I always suggest, hey, just learn a little bit from the easy ones where literally nobody can screw it up. And maybe you don't have any of that, but we did. We had some stuff with a little bit more slope. So that's what we started with. So then we felt pretty comfortable when we got into the tough stuff. So if you use less than the point oh five. Your main concern is that it's going to silt in yep. eventually. 
Oh, uh, all, not, all tile is probably going to silt in eventually. It's just a question of how long. Is it going to be three years? Is it going to be 30 years? Is it going to be 300 years? That's the big question is how long. But when it's less than the 0.05 and it's a four-inch line, the water is just not going to move very well either. So we want to make sure that that water is getting to where we want it to go and relatively quickly because all of a sudden if your water table comes way up and you go boy I really hope my system's working well and it goes unbelievably slow in the meantime you're not not just crop or I mean let's say you didn't even have a crop out there at the time all your soil microbes that need air they're going to die so your nice healthy soil turns into a dead soil and that's no fun especially when you spent the money on tile so I'm just trying to say you can spend the same money other than you might have to add a lift station or something but as much as you can try to figure it out how you can get as much slope as possible then you're going to be in better shape and a lot happier with the end result years down the road do you use a sock on the on your tile you lay up there uh not often we've only done some and it's where we have fine sand or silt and yes, we have done a little bit on some of our river bottom ground. Now, if you had lots of slope, then you don't even have to have that, even if you have fine sand or silt. Right. So the guideline at four inch tile is 0.41. And if you're above 0.41 for slope, even with fine sand or silt, there's enough, there should be enough push that it'll flush it out of there pretty well. Yeah, we don't have anything with that much slope. <laughs> so, All right, well. That. All right. Well, hey, Jerry, you okay. just call us back if you got any other questions, and good luck down there. All right. I appreciate the info. You bet. Thanks. Have a good day. You too. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low-Use Rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther power in your tank. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, 
We discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD-TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. During the Bronze Age, grain sorghum was a common crop in developing agriculture. Today's technology has changed virtually everything, but grain sorghum largely hasn't changed until now. Introducing Emiflex herbicide, paired with iGrowth non-GMO herbicide-resistant grain sorghum, this duo controls foxtail and other tough weeds pre and post emergence so you can grow like never before. Make history in your sorghum makers. Start today at sorghumpotential.com. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. Our phone lines are open at 844 44 Ag PhD. Let's head back to him. We got Mike over in West Virginia with a question. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing real good. How are you guys doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. I hear you want to talk a little about the nutrient stratification. Yes. Uh, I've been no-tilling some of this stuff for, uh, oh, I don't know, 25-plus years. And uh, do I have stratification? Yes. We've tested it several times. But do we see? I don't know that we see that big of a yield difference because of it and we've done a minor amounts of tillage because it was necessary uh, and I, I'm somewhat and I'm thinking out loud I have no basis in fact or science to I'm just wondering whether the biology the uh, the one guest you had there mentioned something about that is helping with that those nutrients making it to the rest of the root mass because obviously if your nutrients are at two inches and your the majority of your roots are below that, it, it, it seems like they may not be able to get it. But has anyone, or are you aware of anyone's done any testing as far as what does that soil health have to do with that, the whole equation? Yeah. Soil health has a lot to do with it because if we have a healthier soil, then we're going to have more beneficial bacteria and fungi, more nutrient solubilizers in effect. And also these, fungi like mycorrhiza that can help bring nutrients into the plant. So all that's great. The problem gets to be if you've got dry conditions and you don't have moisture to help these microbes and especially to get the nutrients into into soil solution. So what do you get on average for rainfall where you farm? roughly 45 45 to 50 so right we're wet right and yeah, yeah so. we, we don't even get half that and that's why we're yeah. more concerned about it than you would be but nevertheless even so i i'm, I'm not saying that you would want to switch away from no-till or that your tests with doing some tillage 
would necessarily give you the entire answer, but what you could think about trying is maybe just as an experiment on a few acres to inject a little bit more fertilizer deeper and see if that seems to make any difference. But yeah, we the, the biggest thing here that we're trying to do is just make people aware that some of these nutrients don't move in soil. And if you don't recognize the fact that you have a nutrient stratification issue, then if and when the opportunity comes up to place more fertilizer deeper, even like in a no-till situation, a lot of people we work with can put more fertility, let's say two by two, or even if they were to move it just a hair deeper, let's say it was two inches over and three inches down, all of a sudden you've got fertility down maybe five inches deep in the ground. That's a home run compared to laying it on the soil surface because there are still a lot of no-tillers, Mike, who are putting a vast majority of fertilizer on the soil surface and it's not getting down like they think it's supposed to get down. So we're just trying to make people aware. Everybody's got to run their own tests. Everybody's got to kind of figure this out on their own. And we're all farming in different situations. Just like your ground's a lot different than mine. Your rainfall's a lot different. Your growing season's different. So uh, to say, oh, it's going to cost you X amount of yield, uh, we, we don't know. But we just want people to be aware that, hey, this is something to take a look at. Yeah. And another part, no, and you comment uh, on it and I'll let you go then. Uh, these new tests like the Haney test and so on, I've done very little of that. But part of those things are, you know, water extractable, nitrogen, water extractable phosphorus and so on. I'm just wondering whether that, am I thinking too hard on that? Is that because we do have water and there is the the microbes helping with that is that kind of because you know you look at my two to three inch test versus my six to eight uh you know well all my nutrients are in that two to three it, sure. it looks like on the soil test yep so can that make a difference yes I, i'm not a huge believer in spending a whole bunch of money on these soil health tests, because usually if I just look at somebody's regular soil test, I'm going to have a pretty good idea whether or not that soil is healthy. I can see right away how we're doing for salts and sodium. I can look at what's the percent of organic matter. And I mean, there are many different triggers that will tell me, oh, this is a pretty healthy soil. So I mean, now granted, I've been doing this for a lot of years, so I don't really need those kinds of soil health tests. But for anybody that's listening out there, if you're really unsure and you don't know even what to look for in a regular soil test, by all means, just run a couple of those soil health tests. And different labs will run different types of tests. Okay, so you mentioned the Haney one. That's just one type of them. But they're they're not bad, and they'll give you a general idea how you're doing. But the other side of that is I can tell for almost any of our listeners, if your soil's well-drained, and you've been running no-till for the last 10 years, the odds are pretty darn high that you've got a healthy soil in comparison to most others out there. But anyway, yes, you're right, Mike. If you've got some of this phosphorus in soil solution and you got a good score on the Haney soil health test, the odds are you're going to be in a lot better shape than many people with having those nutrients at two or three inches. But just it's something to be thinking about moving forward that, boy, if there's any possible way that even with my existing system, um, I have have a little tweak to get a little fertilizer down just a little bit deeper. It's probably going to be at least somewhat beneficial. Yeah, I agree 100%. Well, thank you, guys. You bet. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. 
Brian, got a soil test that came in here from John, and John said, I uh, want to get your opinion on the condition of this soil and what to do to improve it. It hasn't been farmed for a number of years. It was previously in hay. We're going to put soybeans in there this spring, winter wheat this fall, and then corn next year is our, our game plan. What would you do with this soil? I just looked at it, Brian, right off the bat, and I saw how high the calcium was. And I thought, I wonder how much free lime is in that soil. And I wonder if that base saturation reading is even right. But you look at the magnesium parts per million, it's exceptionally low. So if that soil test is accurate, it sure looks like we need a bunch of magnesium out there just to grow a crop. Yeah, magnesium and then potassium are ridiculously low. So base saturation potassium 0.5%, 0.5%. And we're looking at 4 to 8% normally. Magnesium in a light soil, this is a medium textured soil, 10 to 15. So a lot of times we're talking, you know, we'd like that somewhere in the range, somewhere around 15% magnesium. Well, it's about 3. So yes, to your point, it's very, very low. And parts per million, potassium, call it 30. And magnesium, we'll call it 40 or 45 parts per million. That's it. So yes, it that soil's desperate for fertility potassium and magnesium and for that matter the phosphorus levels are quite low as well we're talking well it depends on which phosphorus test you want to look at but let's call it 20 to 30 parts per million on phosphorus so you could use some phosphorus but magnesium and potassium have got to get out there but it makes sense if it was hay because you think about that a lot of people they're extracting 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 and how much are we really putting back when it's hay ground for most people out there, they don't put back as much as what they're removing. So when you're mining out of the soil for years and years, then this is what happens. And it's not just these nutrients. Sulfur, you're talking 10 parts per million or less. Zinc, less than 2 parts per million. Manganese, less than 20 parts per million. With copper, it's half a part per million or less. Boron, half a part per million or less. So all these nutrients are going to be needed. Now, the good news is if you own the ground, you're kind of investing a little bit for the future. But, boy, if you don't own the ground, let's say I was renting this ground, <clears throat> I'm going to look at it and say, whew, it's going to be tough because I'm not going to get hardly anything out of the soil. i got to put just about everything out there that I need for this year's crop. So what, what, I, what would I do? Yeah, I'm putting a fair amount of fertility on And especially when we start talking double cropping and all that kind of thing, you're going to pull a lot of nutrients out of there, or you'd like to pull a lot of nutrients out of there with a halfway decent crop. So you're just going to have to invest Fertilize some money. for each crop. And this this year of all years, it really stinks because fertilizer is at an all-time high price. But I guess the flip side is commodity prices are great, so you, you will most likely still turn out okay. All right, thanks for the question. Uh, really appreciate that. I get to talk a little about nutrient stratification today, why, where the nutrients are all in that top inch or so of soil. It, it can be tricky, and I know uh, Mike from West Virginia is saying, well, it doesn't necessarily hurt yield, especially in high moisture situations and with good soil structure. I, I agree, it's not necessarily going to hurt yield, but if you're in a dry situation or if you've got heavy moisture, well, if you have any kind of erosion at all, you're losing the most valuable part of your soil, and that can be a real problem too. So definitely something to be aware of on your farm and manage accordingly. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.